Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. Welcome to the Collider.com podcast. I'm Collider.com senior editor Matt Goldberg, and with me is managing editor Adam Chitwood. Howdy, folks. And we're joined by associate editor Vinny Mancuso. Uh, I'm, actually, I'm actually a senior editor now. That's why You're I have, a senior I, editor now? Who that's why I get. The, 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 this is what the haircut represents. I have transformed to my final form. <laughs> I thought you were going to say, like, that you changed your haircut to show that time had passed. <laughs> exactly, yeah. It's actually just, I'm actually just getting a head start on my Mad Max look since I feel like the world is heading in that direction. Oh, you should. You absolutely should. Anything Mad Max you can do now, you should do it. Like, start referring to places like Bullet Town and the Gas Farm or whatever. I'm, just... I'm learning guitar and attaching a flamethrower to my guitar at the same time. <laughs> Sounds like a really kept me busy. DIY project, kids. It's kept Please, me busy. If, if you are an actual child, don't do that. But if you're an adult, <laughs> you live your own life. I don't, I'm, not your, I'm not your dad. Yeah, I'm not your parent. Do whatever. If you have a trampoline, you got bungee cords there, just strap yourself to your house. Or, <laughs> See, that, you know, sounds like a, that sounds like a lot of fun, to be honest yeah. with you. Valhalla. <laughs> <laughs> Witness me. Um, so today, we'll, even though we let off with a bunch of Bad Max talk, we're actually going to be Max Fury Road, which is not on, uh, which is not on Netflix. Um, we're going to be talking about Solo, a Star Wars story, which we kind of had new thoughts about. I kind of went into this just viewing being like, all right, well, the people have spoken and you all voted for Solo, so I guess I got to watch Solo and just kind of sit here. And I actually thought it wasn't, it was better than I remembered it being. It's sort of, it's a, it's still a kind of a frustrating film, but it's a film that like I don't necessarily mind as much. Like I was like, I had it on the background, I was doing laundry. I'm like, this is fine for what it, like, I kind of wish it wasn't a Star Wars movie. Yeah. Um, I think that's its biggest hangup is being a Star Wars film. Like if someone just said, hey, I made this movie about a ragtag group of like space pirates going on a heist, that sounds pretty fun. And like that would be a serviceable film. Instead, you get Solo, which is kind of has to like do obligatory Star Wars stuff in between doing more interesting space heisty stuff. Yeah, um, like the rest of the world, I actually did not see this movie in theaters. I um. I, I didn't see this movie until like I, I think like a year afterwards. The first time I saw Solo was on a plane, uh, probably also like the rest of the world. And I just I remember thinking like that was fun, but I'll like I'll never have any serious thoughts on that film again. And then I watched it yesterday and like gave it my full attention. I saw it on a screen bigger than an airplane screen, and I completely changed my mind about it. I I, I feel like it's one of the more interesting cases of failure in a long time because the movie itself the structure of it how fun it is is not a failure at all the failure is that it's a completely unnecessary star wars movie that nobody in the world asked for and i think i I tweeted something like this something like it's that movie is so fun and so well put together it would have been the next star wars if it wasn't being dragged down by the fact that it's a star wars movie like it's so much fun that movie is so much fun and it's completely at its worst when they're like and by the way this is a Star Wars story. That is the worst part of that movie every single time. But besides that, it's such a well-structured, fun heist movie just happened to be set in outer space. So I don't, I don't know... I don't know how to describe the failure because the movie itself is good. I enjoyed watching the movie. I just wish it wasn't a Star Wars movie, like you said. Yeah, it's... Uh, I also liked it better on recent rewatch. Haha, I bet you nerds thought we were just going to trash Star Wars. <laughs> this is a pro solo podcast we're sorry uh yeah i mean it's it's fine i still like roll my eyes when he's like han solo how about han solo (laughs) or you know chewbacca i'm never gonna say that we gotta come up with a shorter name for you i was like these are questions i did not need answered um this is very unnecessary and why is the imperial march playing like in (laughs) the universe why is it diegetic sound like inside uh star wars um but like you know i i was pretty i was pretty put off by that stuff and then 
I kind of got charmed over by it as I, as I was watching it because I tried to rewatch this like a year ago and I couldn't do it. Like I just got super bored. Um, and I think its biggest problem is the is the blandness with which it's executed. Um, I think the nuts and bolts of a good story are there. I think the nuts and bolts of like a good movie are there. Um, the Kessel Run is pretty fun. The characters as portrayed are pretty fun. I mean, it's absolutely brilliant to have a droid who's like all into like liberation and like liberating fellow droids and also like kind of wants to fuck Lando Calrissian. Um, I think like... it's confirmed that she has. <laughs> I, believe, I don't know how explicit it is. I'd have to go back, but I believe in canon it happened. More yeah. than so that also elevates solo above pretty much every other Star Wars movie. Like that stuff makes it fun and that stuff makes it unique. And then I don't know, there's stuff that for me just kind of drags it back down to like, Oh yeah, you know, it's, still star wars happening um and in that i mean it's impossible to say for sure like if lord and miller would have made a better film out of this like good filmmaker can think good filmmakers can still make bad films and i don't necessarily think solo is a bad film but it does feel like a film that um was trying some things and you bring in a veteran journeyman like ron howard to come over and smooth it out make it a little bit more palatable a little bit more commercial and you know give people the star wars stuff they need like the the darth maul thing i still think is totally unnecessary and confusing for people like me who like don't follow up on like the non-movie canon and i'm just like what why is he still alive why does he have robotic legs that is one of the bigger wings in a movie that just is like not explained like if you don't watch multiple shows you don't know what (laughs) that's so confusing i remember my first thought was oh i was wrong about where this is in the timeline the whole time i thought it was like a crazy like christopher nolan like time uh twist i was like oh this is all before the prequel somehow that's insane on solo is 200 years old i didn't know that but it's just like it's it's only explained if you watch the uh, supplemental material, which is interesting. I guess it's one of the first times that they just like didn't spell something out, which is interesting. But in the case of bringing back like the most one of the most notable deaths in the entire series, I feel like you needed a little bit more of a explanation other than what we got. And it feels like Disney has got like or Star Wars is going to start doing that even more now. Like like man, it felt like a little Mandalorian. Like hey. For all our Clone Wars fans out there, yeah. Rebels fans out there, here's a nod to yeah. a thing in a live action film that now you're going to get. So like, like when like the Darksaber showed up in Mandalorian, I'm like, what the hell is that thing? <laughs> I, had, I had to peruse the most Wikipedia pages I've ever read in my life just to write like one paragraph about the Darksaber because it has like a history and it got passed down. And I was just like, I, what is that thing? But they presented it as just like, here's the Darksaber, that thing you all know. (laughs) Which is interesting. It kind of like tells you about how Disney looks at how uh, ingrained Star Wars is in the world's mind. They're just like, well, you've seen all the shows, you've read all the books. Well, I think they're sort of of two minds about it, to be honest, though. I think that they're sort of, Disney is, on the one hand, they're like, let's make sure that we're always servicing the hardcore fans, because the hardcore mm-hmm. fans are the ones that are going to buy all this shit, no matter what. So we always have to make sure that they're being acknowledged. But we also have to sort of recognize that this is like a cultural thing, like yeah. Star Wars exists. So the whole point is to kind of shuttle people down to the like the most hardcore level. And so like if you drop in something like Darth Maul or the Dark Saber, the thinking I think is okay, well, we're not going to make a whole movie. We're not going to explain all of that, but if we can drop it in and, like, maybe someone gets curious and then they maybe watch Clone Wars and then maybe they buy more Clone Wars stuff and then they're subscribing to Disney+. Plus, So we can kind of tease it out as kind of a synergistic mm-hmm. marketing strategy regardless of how well it works for the story that we're actually telling. <laughs> I, I will say the the one Star Wars, like, shoe-in explainer thing in Solo that I actually like is surprisingly subtle. And it's when... Uh, Towards the end, when Woody Harrelson is like, I'm about to teach you the most important lesson. And before he can finish, Han shoots first. And I feel like that was their way of saying, like, that's where he learned to shoot first. But they never actually say that. And I thought that was, I was expecting Woody Harrelson to, like, finish the line and be like, always shoot first. (laughs) Someone named Greedo. Like, I was expecting them to explain it. And they kind of, like, left it up to you to recognize. And I thought, it sucks that that's at the end of a movie that has like way too many completely unsubtle references. But that to me was like, oh, that was fun. That like taught you something about Han Solo without 
telling you that they are teaching you about Han Solo. So that, that to me was the right kind of like mix between actual storytelling and like, here's that thing you recognize because you actually have to recognize it. They're not like, his name is Han Solo and here's why. It was just sort of something that if you know about Han Solo, you're like, oh, cool. But if you don't, it's also just, you know, a moment in the movie that works as a story. And that's, and that's what I think kind of makes Solo kind of glide along is that it's a series of moments that work, even if they're not really built around the core of anything. Like, I don't know what the core of Solo, a Star Wars story is. Like, I don't know. I can't, I could not tell you what Han Solo's journey is in that movie. Like, does yeah. he go from being like a, like a, you know, a selfish guy to a guy who cares more? Like, is he going from like a guy who's naive and he, but now he knows things? Like, what is his journey? And it doesn't, it's just really like, yeah. This is the start, and and really, even like I read, uh, I reread what Jonathan Kasdan, the co-writer, like he tweeted out like forty-two notes about this film, and even from his notes, it's clear it's like we think this is the beginning of a story, mm-hmm. not the end of one. But for me, that's like, but it's not very well self. It's not self-contained in the way that it needs to be. Like, yes, this is sort of like Han's first job, but mm-hmm. as far as like a character story, like I don't really know anything about. I don't know what Han Solo's character journey is in this movie. And it's fine. Like, it's great. Like how he met Chewbacca and like how he met Lando. Like it's a gr- lot of little, like, this is how that happened. Yeah. But not a lot of like the why of the character. And maybe some people like they don't give a shit and they don't need to know. But I think that that does matter. I mean, it matters enough in the original Star Wars that Han Solo goes from this guy like, I don't believe in the force. And, you know, I haven't seen anything that makes me believe in some mystical power. And then, I'm in it for me. And then at the end of the film, he's like, no, no, I do care about other people. There is the force. I've changed. Like, it's a journey. I think vaguely the arc of Solo is or was supposed to be, like, how did he become someone who doesn't trust anyone? Because at the beginning, because as you said, it's not necessarily clear that he's selfish and then selfless because, uh, you know, at the beginning, he is still trying to get off of, what is it, Corellia? Corellia. Kira. Um kind of smashing into stuff it doesn't don't really care like who they um smash into or anything um but then he's like eager to team up with like woody harrelson and his gang like whatever to kind of get him back to so we can save kira um and then by the end of it everyone has betrayed him except for chewbacca and so i think it's vaguely supposed to be like and this is why han solo doesn't you know goes it alone that's why he's solo um <laughs> Very <laughs> explains to you why his name Solo. <laughs> yes, I, I I will say that that the that is one of the bigger arguments I was here is that it like ruins his arc in the uh, original trilogy. But I do kind of like this as a like why he's a dick when we meet him in uh, in, uh a New Hope. Like it, this yeah. is kind of like he started off as like a you know a scoundrel, but not like a like you know like a a kind of fun scoundrel. And then, like, the woman he loved completely betrayed him for Darth Maul and, like, everybody he knows betrayed him. And I feel like that set off, like, I don't, how much time is between Solo and A New Hope? I feel like that, those years were just filled with him being like, all right, like, it's just me and me and Chewie. And that's where we meet him in uh, the first Star Wars movie. So I feel like this kind of, it's a, it's a very silly arc when you think about it, because it's like up, down, up, down. Mm-hmm. But as, as, as far as teasing out some sort of uh, reason for Solo to exist, other than Disney thought it would make a lot more money than it did. Uh, on a character point, like this is why he is who he is when we meet him in the first Star Wars movie. It's, it, it, and again, that's drawing out a lot of stuff that is maybe not told too well in the movie itself, but that is, I guess, the one storytelling nugget that makes Solo, uh, that justifies it existing <laughs> as a movie <laughs> that, that was in theaters and that a few people watched. That some people kind of enjoyed. Some people enjoyed. That they were kind of fine with. Yeah, I mean, I would be curious to know what Lord and Miller's original pitch was for the arc. I mean, obviously there was, I I mean, the, I guess for those who don't know, the the tension as reported was between Lord and Miller and screenwriter John Kasdan and his father, Lawrence Kasdan. Mm -hmm. Um, John and Lawrence both wrote the script, right? Or was it just. They're co writers on the script, yeah. yeah. Okay. And like complaining that reportedly that Lord and Miller weren't shooting scenes as written, that they were kind of improvising, um, they weren't doing a ton of coverage, uh, so to give like options in post production, um, that was ostensibly the fight. But they were fired like 
what six months into production <laughs> so yeah. like it didn't make sense that like all of this time they were finally like all right with three weeks left to go you guys are gone like this is not working it's when uh, it seems like they got like it seemed what's so weird is like it seems like disney didn't really learn anything after <laughs> rogue one because that's basically what happened with rogue one as well like they were pretty deep into filming a lot of stuff had been done and then they're like some executives, someone at Disney, some whatever they saw, they're like, they got nervous and they're like, I don't know if this is a Star Wars movie. Bring in someone who will do what they're told and just get the job done. And like Gareth Edwards, sort of like he took the deal. He's like, I will, you will get retain your director credit, but basically, this is Tony Gilroy's movie now. And like Tony Gilroy will do it. And that's that. And then Lord and Miller were kind of, I think, probably offered a similar deal of being like, you know, we keep your name on it, but someone else is going to come on and do some reshoots and they were like, no, just fire us. <laughs> yeah. You know, let us, you know, let's end this charade right now if we're not going to get to make the movie we want to make. And I think the the movie that you can see a glimmer of in solo, the film they wanted to make, when you back right before they started shooting, they tweeted out an image of from Catch 22 about mm-hmm. sort of like, and it was sort of like hinted at like, is this what they're going for with solo? And you get that on the when Han Solo is a soldier, this sort of absurdity of war kind yeah. of notion, and like this guy thrust into this absurd backdrop. And I think that's sort of where the film kind of takes on its own personality. I think this, when the film is sort of noting that Han Solo is a minor character in this much bigger world, the film takes on a new personality that I think makes it distinctive as opposed to like he is one of the guys that blew up the death star <laughs> like because which makes sense like you can't have him do anything grand because if he did anything grand he wouldn't be just hanging out in a smuggler's bar on tatooine like he has to sort of like has to work at a certain level to have his like he has to pull something off that's an accomplishment but also something that like isn't too well renowned and of course that becomes the kessel run thing um but I feel like the, the film is hinting at these moments of personality. And then it's just like, let's just have a space heist. Space heist, everyone. And then it's kind of funny, like, how the film kind of traipses between things that, like, don't work as well as they should. Like, I was kind of surprised. I don't know about you guys. I really like Bradford Young as a cinematographer, but I do not like his cinematography in this movie. I find it very muddled. Like, it's, it's very monochromatic and, like, it's hard to make out certain like some scenes are all blue or some scenes are like all brown yeah there's that early scene like underground that looks like like that battle scene from the last game of game of thrones season like you can't (laughs) like you can't tell what's going on there's like maybe one blue light maybe illuminating a few people but it looks like there's a big sense of this movie that at some point somebody just wanted to get it done like it like yes the fact that it just sort of transitions into this, like, we're just going to hold the camera here, do the space heist, end the space heist, we're done. Like, it, at some point, either during the editing process, the reshoot, somebody was like, let's just finish this movie. And I, that, to me, is the weirdest part of it, because I don't really get a sense of, like, Lord and Miller anywhere. Like, I, when I think about the first Ant-Man, you can, like, kind of tell the Edgar Wright of it all. Like... Mm. You can get, you can see the scenes where you're like, all right, that was probably his idea. I don't really, I, there's no really any of that little, personality gosh. in any part of this movie. I don't really get, I don't really see them in there at all. And that feels really? like they really just were like, get it done, just finish it. It doesn't matter, just smooth it all over. And and that's a bummer because I, I think, think that's that's more of it. But I definitely like there were moments like when he's like, he's like, I have a thermal detonator, and he goes with his mouth like, to yeah, me like that's so. a Lord and Miller moment or like. When like Woody Harrelson like he's firing the gun and the gun gets blown off, he goes. Oh, I was going to say that's the weirdest part of the movie, and it's so funny. And I wish the whole movie like he's just like, and it really hurt my thumbs. <laughs> so stupid and funny, and like none of like that's not that type of personality is not throughout the movie. And it's just a shame because that cast is dope. Like Woody Harrelson, it's an, it's an amazing cast. Over. Like that's the thing. Like it's it's a film where it's like you don't even know, seem to know how good your cast is. Like you yeah. have Sandy Newton. And she's great. And then they're like, we're going to have to kill her off. She gets blown up immediately. And then like yeah. just Phoebe Waller-Bridge adding a lot of personality to L3. And L3 is a great character. Like, we got to kill off L3 and put her into the computer. Oh, my God. So- and we have to ghoulishly rip out her brain. We have to ghoulishly rip out her brain so that she lives in the Falcon forever. You- okay, so that that to me, I don't know where in the process they came up. But like that is the de- textbook definition of someone like, oh, I solved the plot but like not thinking at all what it meant like as a character thing. Like you built up this robot who's like, 
robot rights, like free will for robots. And then her happy ending is that you tear out her brain after she's dead and just upload her into a computer. And they're like, she's part of the ship now. As if that's a good thing. Like, that's not what the character wants. And also, it's not that necessary. It's like, no, get out of the maelstrom without the navigation computer. I'm like, I don't know. Han Solo is a good pilot. That's the end of it. Like, I don't need to know. Like, well, like, if anyone, if, if the movie happened and Han Solo found his way out of the out of the maelstrom through the Kessel Run, at the end of it, you're like, well, I don't know how he did yeah, that. How do you get through? The Millennium Falcon having a good navigation system, like a shout, like where people are like, that's how that happened. Because yeah, I, I, I legitimately, <laughs> I can't see a reason to do that. It, it's the weirdest note in the entire movie that is already stitched together. And the fact that no one comments on it, I think. Uh, Amelia Clark is like sorry as she rips out the robot brain. It, it's just, it's such a weirdly ghoulish thing to happen in a movie that seems determined to be like fun adventure in space. And then they're like, we're gonna. It's just so weird. Everything about it is weird. The setup, the execution, the aftermath, which I guess is just part of the Star Wars canon now that there's this ghost brain <laughs> in the Millennium Falcon. Millennium. It makes everything about the Millennium Falcon way more ghoulish than you could ever want it to be. I, I can't I can't even fathom that that story beat other than like in a meeting they're like we need a navigation system do that all right let's keep on going I sort of I, I was watching I'm trying to understand like beat for beat because I'm like okay you have L three and this is a character that's working like it, she's really like the character is popping on screen and it's like and when like it kind of reminded me of like K two S O in Rogue One like but like oh K two S O dies because everyone dies so okay mm-hmm. that makes sense but K two S O dies um, but. When L3, like, with L3, like, what happens is, is like, it's a character that's really working. So they're what they're trying to get to is, why is Lando not piloting the ship? We need to have something where Lando isn't piloting the ship. So we have to have L3 get shot, and then Lando goes after L3, and he gets shot, and then they get rescued. But now L3 is in pieces, and Lando is injured, so that means Han Solo has to fly the, the Falcon. And it's just a really long walk to get you to somewhere like, and I get it. I get it. It's like, we need Han Solo and Chewie piloting the Millennium Falcon through the Kessel Run. And it's just sort of like, but did you have to destroy L3 in the process? (laughs) Was there no other way? Like, you could shoot off her legs and she'd still, like, and she can live. And then, like, she'll get new legs later because... Droids can get new legs. In the middle of her slave rebellion as well. In the middle of her slave rebellion. It's just such a weird, like, again, it's so tonally out of sync with, like, everything else in the movie. Where they just, they were like, how can we do this in the most ghoulish, jarring way possible? And they found it. They found, like, the weirdest, (laughs) most fun way to do it. But then it's funny because Chewie and Han, like, sit down in in the seat and, like, the music comes up and they're like, look at this moment. I'm like. In the other room, there is a like botched robot surgery happening. Like Lando Calrissian is weeping. Like He's this is the death of his friend over their failed slave rebellion. Like it's just this is not a happy moment. You could have just had them sit in the seat, play the music, people would have went nuts. But you had to do this weird <laughs> thing. Also, robot death. I also I tend to like John Powell. I think John like John Powell did the amazing work on the How to Train Your Dragon movies. I don't really think he has much of a score here either. Like. from a technical perspective like you said solo is very flat like it's not like like there's very little in it that's like oh that's a cool thing like that's a neat thing like even so i'm i'm willing i'm pretty sure that and correct me if i'm wrong that uh paul bettany was was a ron howard edition correct Uh, like the entire character like that so that character was michael k williams and he was a cg creation like he was supposed to be this like monster which would have made the like sexual tension between him and Kira more gross, I think. <laughs> but whenever they extended the shoot, Yeah, whenever they extended the shoot by like six weeks, and you can look up concept art to see what Michael K. Williams was supposed to look like. Uh, Michael K. Williams had a scheduling conflict, so he couldn't come back. So literally Ron Howard just called Paul Bettany, and two days later he was on the set shooting a mm. Star Wars movie. Which I think is why, like, you were talking about Radford Young cinematography, I think it's pushing the boundaries of, like, what is, uh, like, allowed in a movie like this and i think some of that stuff uh, like i think we know for sure that a lot of that opening Corellia stuff is lord and miller as is when Chewie and han fight in like the mud pit mm-hmm. that stuff's super dark but everything on the ship is just really flat just kind of flat and bland um and all of that we know for sure is ron howard because that yeah. was 
But like, even in like the little details, it's it's so weird. Like, so like, uh, Paul Bettany has those little knives, those little glowing knives as his weapon, and it's like the funniest. Mo- it's not the funniest moment. It's a funny moment when they basically have like a Mexican standoff near the end of the film, and like Han reaches for a gun, and like Paul Bettany goes for his knives, his and like little knives. literally yeah. like, knives like, gunfight. That's you don't have the benefit of like, oh he's a Jedi he can handle this. No, he literally just takes out two tiny knives, and Han has a gun, and I'm like, well, you should. You should just shoot him. Like he's not. Like, he's just, like, he's just like a crime gangster, man. Like he's not gonna dodge it. Just shoot him. It's just. It's just a. Yeah. Now that you mention it, like the entire Paul Bettany like addition just doesn't. I don't know. Like his death and that whole thing is not like the climax of the movie. It feels like they like had to tack. That was the weirdest. That was the most annoying add-on thing. Is the movie ends and they're like, oh, here's an entire extra thing about how he won the Millennium Falcon in a in a in a card game like it was like they had to tack on the explanation it's just I, everything about that movie if, if that same creative team just made a space heist movie it would probably be amazing but the fact that they had to keep going back to how this happened it, it just drags the entire movie down well and it's like the edict that the movie had to end with all of the pieces in place for a new hope like with yeah. no room for any kind of like no other characters could still be on the on the board that couldn't be explained away by like they're bad. But I also think like there's a softening of, I think the movie does a disservice to Kira who is very clearly a survivor, um, yeah. uh, some kind of predatory assault. Um, but there's more there that we never get into. And then even the Beckett character, like it just feels like it kind of like undercuts his villainy. Like he could have been much worse or should have been um, in order to make that turn maybe more effective. Cause you're still kind of like, is he like, is he bad? Is he good? Like, I don't necessarily understand what's happening here. Um, but I think he could have been a good contrast for Han Solo in that like, you know, they're both scoundrels. They're both runners, but one is ruthless and one has a moral compass. Um, which I think could have been more fascinating on uh, in that regard. But it, it does feel like those characters keep, like, again, like everything kind of gets just like softened or like there's kind of this bland undertone going on top of it. But in terms of like a, a movie, like making this movie without it being Star Wars and being successful, the character that I always found really fascinating and the character of the story I wanted to follow was Infus Nest. Um, which I thought was kind of a cool idea of it. Like if you're just following these band of um, people whose lives have been consistently like upended and ruined by the empire who have formed like a rebel gang who are going around, um, you know, going after like crime Lords. Like to me, that's more interesting than why did Han Solo win the ship? Yeah. Like, yeah, there's, there's interesting stuff kind of swimming around in this film. It's just, it's kind of, but make it star Wars. And that's sort of at the end of the day, like I kind of feel like it's, the, what what it felt a lot like is like the Mandalorian. Like the Mandalorian is something I kind of pop on, and I'm like, oh, this is a th- this is a Star Wars thing, but it doesn't demand anything of me, and like I don't really get invested in it. But I'm like, oh, it's nice, <laughs> it's nice to start, it's nice to Star Wars, and then you go about your day, and like that's kind of like, but with Solo, like there's those little glimmers of like something better, of something just kind of around the corner, like oh, if this were developed a little bit more, or if this had been done. You know, if they had followed this through, this would have been stronger. And it's just so and I kind of and and so for solo for me, in order to not make it frustrating, I kind of have to sort of push that all out of my head and just be like, this is affable enough. You know, the what it it has. It's not a film that's like, oh, this is a chore, but it's also you're kind of seeing a glimpse of something that could have been a lot stronger. Yeah, I. uh what Han Solo or what Solo makes interesting to me is the idea of just doing a Star Wars movie set in the Star Wars universe that is completely like no recognizable characters, nothing you re- nothing like nothing you could recognize. And before Solo, I probably would have been like, well, nobody's going to go see that in theaters. But they put Solo in theaters and it underperformed. I was like, maybe like that's the move. Like I, I to me, the only benefit of Mandalorian, which is a really harsh thing to say about a show that a lot of people loved, is that it like was at least not about like people you definitely knew. Like I, I, I'm like starving for star Wars content. That's just like in a corner of the galaxy. And it's a fun story. Like if this was just an emphasis nest movie and it was about like, a, a like competing gangs in the star Wars underworld to me, that sounds amazing. And I'm wondering what the reaction to that would be. Like, I don't think Disney has really made anything that was like 
its own completely separate thing. I thought the Mandalorian was going to be that. And in the first episode, they were like, here's a very recognizable baby. And I was like, okay, first of all, thank you. That's an adorable baby. But like, it's not what I, it's not what I thought it was going to be. And I'm, I'm like desperate for a Star Wars set story that just is like a Star Wars story. Like, I, I just want to learn about something that's in a different point of the galaxy. Like, don't put anything in it that I recognize. Just do laser guns and airplane and, and cool spaceships and make the noises that everybody knows. That's, that's all I, I feel like that would be great. And I feel like Disney is too scared to make that film. I think every time they even think about attempting to make that film, they're like, no, 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 it has to be X, Y, and Z. So, like, a film like Rogue One, like, yeah, okay, it's how you get, it's like the Death Star. Okay, yeah. you know what the Death Star is, but all the characters is gonna, the mission is new, like this is, there are no Jedi in this movie, like it's all new things. Until a very prominent Darth Vader. Until a very prominent Jedi shows up. Until and just wrecks, and he literally comes to the movie and is like, none of this matters. Like, <laughs> <laughs> he just destroys everyone and he's like, only the original characters matter and just cuts everyone to pieces. Yeah. And, and- Rogue was close. Rogue was close to what I, I wanted, but it was, like you said, it had to be about the Death Star. And even that, I was like, okay, stealing the plans for the Death Star. When it was originally announced, the idea of someone stealing the plans for the Death Star, very cool idea. And it kind of went too much into the, like, this is how all this happened. And it's just, that's the only mantra I just want gone from Star Wars, is this is how this happened. It's like, well, I don't care. I don't care. Yeah, and my hope is that, like, the back, and I don't know if like Disney perceives any backlash to Rise of Skywalker. I genuinely don't. I don't know if they're like, this is a good film and we all did a good job. Let's all pat ourselves on the back because it, it crawled past a billion dollars. And it did. It did not, it did not take it, off as it, fast as they wanted it to. Um, but it did cross a billion dollars. But like Rise of Skywalker is all about like, here's how this thing happens. And like, here's how this doodad gets here. And here's how this happens. And it's like, let's... Be- Ryan Skywalker is basically digging around in trash for two and a half hours. It's like, ah, here's how this trash happened. And ah, here's how this trash happened. And like, everything is connected and like, you're connected to this. And it's like, at some point it's like, just let it fucking go. And I, I feel, and I'm kind of curious now, like who gets to say like what Star Wars is? Because I feel like something is about to change in Star Wars and I'm not sure what, like the future could be, I wrote an article like the future is bleak because maybe it is more like the Mandalorian. I just feel like Disney is a very risk averse company. And I feel like, like, like you, Vinny, I want to see, you know, a whole new thing, like a whole new, you know, don't, you know, let me exist in the Star Wars universe without linking back to something that happened to a movie that came out between 77 and 83. Like, show me something new. And it's but crazy. Like, it's like we can't really show anyone anything new because we don't like people may not go for it, and so we gotta like you know link back to the to the things you remember because nostalgia is our brand. Like, and that is Disney. Like, nostalgia is yeah. the brand. It's um, crazy to watch that first movie because it doesn't explain shit. People just say stuff. <laughs> people just say Logan, yeah. and then it goes it goes out into the ether, and you're like, that sounds interesting. Like. To watch that first movie and then to like realize that over the next few decades they went and explained just every word spoken is like it's, it's just like the worst evolution of Star Wars I can think of. Like nothing, George Lucas was just throwing out words. Like let's you know oh three PO said binary load lifters. Here's a book on binary load yeah. lifters. Like, I don't care, it's a made up thing. It's it's crazy. I. To think, to think that like that is the genesis of all this. That movie is the first thing that created this this entire thing, and like no one was explaining anything. I I don't know how much George Lucas had in his head. He'll tell you that he had all of it, but he didn't. <laughs> uh, the, he, the the dialogue of that movie is absurd. It, every sentence just throws out a word, and you're like, that's not a real word. Doesn't matter. This is cool. Look at this. Look at the laser swords. Look at the look at the guns. This is a fun movie, and I don't know. That to me is like the Star Wars I want. And I, I understand that, like, I often want, like, the dumbest, trashiest version of things possible. But, like, I, to me, like, a new corner of the galaxy where people just have fun space. I just want, like, a fun space adventure. And that, to me, that's my Star Wars. That's what Star Wars means to me. But Star Wars means so much to so many people that people would be like, I didn't see, like, one thing I recognized. Not Star Wars. And it's like, nobody well, I- said that. Nobody said that in 1977. <laughs> nobody was like, I don't understand this. And that to me is like an interesting like sort of comparison like fan reactions is like Last Jedi kind of returns to like not explaining everything or at the very least like 
going places that you don't expect it to go. You know, yeah. doing things like, hey, you can track people through light speed now, or you can, you know, there's like a hidden outpost, but it's more about like, maybe the Jedi aren't great. Like it actually interrogates Star Wars. Mm -hmm. And that film was a hit, but it was like, it was very divisive. Solo, not a hit, but also not really divisive. Yeah. <laughs> and I think Disney would like not <laughs> prefer not divisive because when something's not divisive, you can still sell things. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of things to critique in The Last Jedi, but the fact that like people get mad because they were like surprised about anything is like, there are plenty of arguments against The Last Jedi. I'm not going to pretend it's a perfect film. But, like, the thing I see people getting mad at is, like, this isn't what I expected. And it's like, good. Yeah. <laughs> That's it's awesome. Really sort of like, this cheeseburger is not the way I ordered it. I want my cheeseburger. <laughs> it's like, movies should be like McDonald's. And I'm like, That's a terrible view of art. Yeah. McFlurry's, though. Yes. Honestly, make a Star Wars McFlurry or, like, a Star Wars as McFlurry. And, yeah, I'm in. I'm in. Just, I don't know. I think that the the problem is Star Wars has gotten too much of a rigid definition. And it's like, you can't just define this thing that takes place in a, the biggest galaxy ever. <laughs> it's not every, not, every, not everything in the galaxy is going to look and sound the same. Yeah, well, it's torn between this big imaginative canvas where, like, you can do a lot of different things, but also, like, it is wholly writ now. And so, like, if you veer from the biblical text of what is and is not Star Wars, um, you know, you are wrong. And it's it's even weird like for like who gets to even have ownership of that. Like, I don't know if you guys saw that clip floating around of like Dave Filoni like explaining Phantom mm -hmm. Menace. And he's like, oh, he's like, oh, you, you see here, you know, um, and I think it was from the, the Mandalorian behind the scenes series that they were doing. But anyway, he's like, you know, Qui-Gon Jinn represents emotion and, and this world that like yeah. is different. Like that's, they're dueling for the fate of Anakin. I'm like, that reading is not supported by the text. Yeah, I was like, I was also, I was also an English major in college. Like, I understand <laughs> what it is to like take stuff and fill out a word count because you need to like find stuff that's not there. But like, it was a very nice way to look at the movie. But like, good ideas don't make a good movie. Like, you still have to like put that into the movie itself and i just feel like the reaction that was like dave filoni saves the prequels with his brilliant mind it's like no dave filoni is brilliant because he like made his own show that like made the prequels better but like don't but act like the prequels like, themselves. I have on this film supported by the film is not there and that <laughs> to me is sort of like again i i don't know and it, I, i'm kind of curious like what does reaction to solo look like in 20 years like in 20 years do people be like actually solo is really about this this and this yeah. and kind of trying to fill it in as more than it was i think the problem with solo is that in trying to please everyone it pleased no one <laughs> like it's fine it's very serviceable like it's an enjoyable enough adventure it doesn't really last i think the performances are fine i think lord and miller i mean lord and miller made a career out of turning terrible ideas into great movies like yeah. um you know finding Finding interesting themes or surprising themes in, uh, you know, a 21 Jump Street reboot or a movie about Legos. Um, and I feel like they were trying with Solo to, I, I, I mean, this was the first, uh, like, Matt was there when we first reported that, like, Lucasfilm, Disney had bought Lucasfilm. And then, like, they were developing spinoffs of Yoda and of Boba Fett and of Han Solo. So yeah. this was very much going to be a proof of concept for those other eventual spinoffs, probably. And I feel like with L, with the L3 stuff, with investigating, like, all right, well, like, what does a droid think or feel in the Star Wars universe? Because that's never been explored before. Um, not what does this specific droid named C-3PO think or feel? What does a droid feel? Like, what is it, What is droid life like? Um, and also, what does the criminal underworld look like? The stuff within Fist Nest and uh, even uh, Paul Bettany's character, I think, could have been uh, more interesting as like this kind of criminal overlord. It's not about Sith versus Jedi uh, or Empire versus Rebels. It's just about people trying to exist in the galaxy. But then you have, you know, the in the finished version of the film, it's just so hell bent on, like you said, explaining these things. 
but also like, all right, we got to give people reasons to say, I understand that reference, and I understand that reference, and I understand that reference, and now I am pleased. It's an auditorium full of Captain Americas. Yes, <laughs> yeah, and it, like that, does, it's not super pleasing to me. And I think you know the way to do it is is to investigate, is to turn into something different. And I feel like in not doing that, you're not necessarily making a film that lasts. I mean, the Last Jedi is divisive, but it's probably going to last like people are still going to be talking people are still talking about it two years later and debating like the merits of it um and they're not doing that about solo because there's really no meat on those bones and i think there's only so much you can do when you reshoot most of the film with a different director and you're trying to rush it to hit a release date which the release date is a whole other thing they shouldn't have released it you know what six months after the last jedi they were i don't know i guess trying to internally smooth over fan reactions i think the problem is you know the the most vocal star wars fans are the ones that are super into the biblical text like it has star wars has to be this thing and i don't think that speaks for all star wars fans and i don't call myself a star wars super fan but i am a fan of watching good movies or at least the very least interesting movies um and i just i'm with you guys i wish we had more of those i think it's i think it speaks volumes that uh, you know, as all of this was going on, they hired Ryan Johnson to write and develop and potentially direct a trilogy of Star Wars movies that he said would be unconnected from anything so far. These would be all new stories with all new characters. And then when David Benioff and D.B. Weiss left, we found out that their project was exploring the origins of the Jedi. Like, yeah. where did the Jedi come from? Like, again, explaining things. So, like... I don't know what Lucasfilm thinks now is like the way forward, but there are very two. It does seem like there are very two very distinct paths. Like there is a version of the Last Jedi in which Snoke is revealed to be the Sith Master of Anakin and all of these characters or whatever, and then there's the version Ryan Johnson made where it's like that doesn't matter. These two new hero characters matter, and we're gonna like investigate their emotions and themes. I'm very interested to see like what Taika Waititi is doing. Like I like I I just I can't fathom it's i don't know what like magical uh essence that man gives off but like the fact that disney is like so personality averse but they love taiko Waititi, they'll just give him anything they want I, I that man must be like the best in a room ever because i i can't picture him like i can't picture him getting fired by disney but i also can't picture him making a like boring movie like, yeah. it, it i think ragnarok is like a miracle the fact that the fact that that movie was made in the Marvel system and he wasn't fired, and not only wasn't fired, became like one of the most they like they clearly love him. They clearly love him over at Disney, and I don't know I don't know what it is, what magic New Zealand charm. It's just I can't I I'm very intrigued. I just want to know like what part of the universe he's playing, in. and I, and I, I I'm pretty sure he's work he's also working with the the Russian doll co-creator What's who also, is also doing her own Star Wars series. Yeah, so I don't know. Those are two very interesting hires because those aren't people who like can see making something boring but disney always finds a way right well, well that's the thing. like like every time there's a new piece of like star wars like oh that like everyone's like losing their shit like oh Taika he's gonna direct a star wars film like do you like do you know how this story has gone before like <laughs> i was you when lord and miller got announced to direct a star wars film <laughs> yeah and i know how the story ends so like why don't we wait until filming is completed and the film is in theaters and see who's still standing but I do, I do hold up Ragnarok as like a beacon of hope because I watched that movie the other day and like that is a that's a, just a good movie. True, true. That but is it a good movie, and I can't I can't understand how they let him make that movie. I I think the answer to how they let him make that is Thor: The Dark World is so bad and had <laughs> disastrous fair. production that they were like, fuck it. <laughs> yeah. Thing new. Why not roll the dice? Well, that was also the first Marvel movie that was made whole cloth without the, the Marvel Creative Committee. And where Kevin Feige had lobbied successfully to where he wasn't reporting to Ike Merlepunder anymore, he was reporting to Alan Horn at Disney, so he didn't have to go through any of the notes-taking process. Like, the two movies that were made directly, or three movies that were made directly after that happened, were Thor Ragnarok, Black Panther, and Captain Marvel. Um, yeah. And yeah. so it allowed the freedom to to do those kinds of things. But, uh, yeah, I don't understand Taika Waititi, because he's made two other movies since then and he's gonna make another thor movie before he makes another star wars movie and he just keeps turning them out he is a celestial being that like graced us with his presence like i don't <laughs> i, I truly like beyond the star wars stuff i don't understand him he did he took a break from making fun blockbusters to like win an oscar with his like world war ii satire now he's back for another thor like i 
I, I'm very intrigued. I, I guess he did do the episode of The Mandalorian, which kind of gives you an idea of like him playing within the sandbox. Like it, it, he did the finale, I think, of The Mandalorian. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a fun episode. That's also the episode, but they're like, Dark Saber. And you're like, what? Yeah. Right. So, but it, it was a fun episode. And I, I really, I was pretty down on The Mandalorian overall. But I liked it when it was just like an action Star Wars show. And that, that episode had like shootouts, like like gun battles. That, that one felt like the Western that we were promised the entire time. Well, and you also get Waititi's irreverence when like you got stormtroopers smacking Baby Yoda around. Yeah. <laughs> That did happen. I don't know many other people who would have like smacked Baby Yoda. Like that to me was like, all right, we are playing in that sandbox. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Um, Solo, I think is if you haven't watched Solo since it came out, or you're like, I don't know, I didn't hear very good things. It's on Netflix, and it really is like it's kind of like just a, a, a pretty chill film. Like it's like it's not gonna don't don't go in expecting like great Star Wars, but like it's it really is like not a bad like oh okay this is on and I can just kind of chill out with it. Kind of I watched it on a Sunday afternoon, and that is the way to watch it. Yeah, that is the way to do it. it. Sunday at like 1 p.m., get up, move to another room, and watch it. <laughs> <laughs> the, best, the best way to watch it. I do think something we didn't address that I did want to talk about briefly is how dirty we've done Alden Ehrenreich now. Oh, that, yeah. like, that, that movie, like, it seems to have somewhat hindered his career. That should have been priority on number one. I really, like, on this new film, like, he's really good. I really like him at Solo. I, I, didn't even, I didn't even too. like the casting, but in the movie, he's, he's terrific. Like, yeah. he, he did the best he could with, like, an impossible role. Anyone yeah. other than a DH Harrison Ford people are going to, like, reject. Because that's just Harrison Ford. Like, that's, like, I don't know. Han Solo was, like, cool 60% because of Harrison Ford. And, like, there's no getting around that. So to come in and be charming and funny and, like, energetic and the way he did, I I think he did the absolute best with a role that was completely against every, every, like, decision you'd want to make. Yeah. Yeah, I think he's... He's great in that. He's incredible in Hail Caesar, and it was a bummer just to see him kind of have to disappear from the limelight for a bit. Um, he's in that Brave New World show for HBO yes, Max. He's I, he does deserve a little a, a renaissance after like two years of being active. <laughs> like, let's, let's bring him <laughs> back again because he really is terrific, and he he is great in Hail Caesar. Yeah, he's so good. Which um, is on Netflix, I think. It is. Do a little Ian Reich double feature this afternoon. Uh, all right. Well, let's move on to recently watched. Uh, Vinny, what have you seen lately that you want to talk about? Uh, as I've been telling everybody, because it makes me feel classy, uh, I've been watching Cheers, uh, which is not a show. I, I, I'm not like a sitcom guy, and I'm not really like an old TV guy. Like, I love old, older movies, but like, I don't really ever revisit older TV. So this literally I started watching it because it was like a Saturday and I was like, I miss bars. Like, I miss socializing. But man, that show is so well written. It, it, it could that show could premiere today and be like Peacock's biggest hit. Like it, the, 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 just the way the jokes land is unlike any older show I've ever seen. Like that, you, you could debut that on a streaming service now with that cast that, who are all fantastic and it would be a hit. So I will say that if you're like reluctant to revisit something older, which is such a stupid millennial thing to say, uh, I'm now realizing, but <laughs> cheers, I, I, I swear like that, I was not expecting to like it, but I, I'm, deep into Cheers. That, that has been like my one TV binge during our current climate. And I, I, it, it just kind of feels like hanging out. And I, I needed that from a sitcom like badly. I needed, I needed <laughs> to just like feel like I was hanging out. And that show, I think like better than like, and I love other sitcoms, you know, I love the, the standards, the office and the and parks and rec, but this more than anything feels like just like hanging out with a, with a crew. And that, that is highly recommended if you are if you're watching this live or right now and not finding it as like an artifact in the future, if you if you listen to this now and you need something to hang out with, I cannot recommend Cheers enough. Do you uh, do you drink while watching Cheers and find yourself talking to the television? I will not comment on <laughs> my preview, my 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 how sober I am while watching Cheers, but I, I hypothetically, not a bad idea. Completely hypothetically, not a terrible idea to just do it mystery science theater 3000 type of thing <laughs> which is drunkenly yelling your opinions at some other people i am with friends now <laughs> these are my, fr- my friends Norm. every time the credits end my friends you're back 
<laughs> Everybody knows my name. <laughs> so hypothetically, 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 that's like very funny. You face to black and you just sort of sit there in the middle. Just, <laughs> I, miss, I miss my down. friends. I miss my friends. My friends. <laughs> <laughs> That is a very depressing image that I, that I will not comment on further. Let's go to the next thing. What are you guys watching? <laughs> Adam, what have you seen lately? Where are your friends? <laughs> uh, um, uh, with all the talk of Mad Max Fury Road, I decided to revisit that on Saturday afternoon. Um, and I'd seen it, I hadn't seen it in a long time. Uh, and I wondered how well it would hold up on, uh, on TV because I think I saw it twice in theaters and maybe once more once I got the Blu-ray. Um, but like, I just, I was incapable of looking at my phone while watching the whole thing. Like, it's yeah. just, uh, I'd forgotten how brilliant just the construction of that movie is like the speed ramping and like all of the 80, the, all of the dialogue is 80 yards. So it allows the actors to just be moving and doing whatever the hell they want. Uh, and the way that George uses the camera as like a muscle that's just in your face. Yeah. Um, and it's also just incredibly funny. Um, and like, you know, reading these, you know, New York Times did a big retrospective piece last week, I think, uh, for the anniversary. And the actors were talking about how grueling the shoot was and how frustrating it was and talking about how specifically what piqued my interest was them talking about how they were shooting so much action. And action is like a few seconds here, a few seconds there. Um, and watching the movie, I was like, God, this must have been hell because it's just all like, <laughs> all right, now look to your left really quickly. OK, look to your left again. OK, now we're done with that scene. Next setup. Mm-hmm. And like, that's the day of just like doing that. Um, but the way it all pieces together is so brilliant um, and just so visceral. And then to have that added layer of that thematic resonance, like resonance, it is this, this unabashedly feminist story and the story of reclamation um, for these characters and seeing kind of that interplay between Furiosa and Mad Max. Um and then also just the world building, like just the way it all builds out. And I also just kind of love the fact that George Miller is just like remade Mad Max like three times now or twice now, because <laughs> the Road Warrior is just kind of like reworking a little bit from like the first Mad Max. And then this one is just like, it's a new character, but it doesn't matter. Beyond yeah, Thunderdome. I haven't seen Beyond Thunderdome. Um, that is an absurd movie. <laughs> <laughs> I highly recommend it. Um, it, it was a brilliant decision to make Mad Max like an absolute bumbling idiot, like to, yeah. to like, and to cast Tom Hardy to do so. It's yeah. such a brilliant decision to be like Mad Max in the movie. Mad Max will be dragged along for the entire movie. Yes, well, and just the like the language of the film as well. I was really struck by because the, in the entire third act, they are talking about the blood bag at blood bag as if it's an object. So mm-hmm. like Max is an object, and the women are the object. They don't say they stole his wives. They say he stole they they stole his things. They took his things. Um, just the specificity with which the entire thing is put together, I think, is just brilliant because um, it doesn't need to like speak out and be like, I am a feminist story, or like, this is what you should think. Like, you're just using language to tell the story. Uh, and it just works that way. Um, I think it's terrific. And uh, <laughs> Nicholas Holt, I think, is so good. It may remember um, uh, the X-Men Apocalypse set visit was notable for many reasons, but uh, <laughs> one was uh, Nicholas Holt and, um, gosh, I remember, I can't remember the actor's name who played uh, young William Stryker. Um, we're both in Mad Max, uh, and so whenever they came into the tent to do the interviews, we all just did the, the <laughs> <laughs> and they were like, yes, yes, yes. Um, but uh, yeah, that movie holds up tremendously well. So, so if you haven't seen Mad Max Fury Road, you should watch it. If you haven't seen it in a long time, I would highly suggest rewatching it. It is a miracle of a movie. Yes. Nothing, yeah. nothing should have worked. People just brought a bunch of trucks out in the sand and were like, I'm going to blow this shit up for weeks. <laughs> Almost killing it, everyone. And it's like somehow this beautiful thing. <laughs> I was thinking, I was like, I think this is the best action movie ever made. Like, I don't think anyone's ever made a better action movie than this. It, it's, it's not something that can't be argued. Like, that is not, I wouldn't disagree. <laughs> like, I would not disagree. <laughs> you can definitely make the case for it. You can make the argument for sure. I know, I know Matt is a fan of uh, Die Hard 2, so, you know. It's like Die Hard, but they put it in an airport this time. Come on, guys. Die Hard 2. All right. Um, so my uh, my recently we watched is I've been watching Miracle Workers, Dark Ages. And I can't recall if we've talked about this on the show, but even if we have, so what? 
Uh, it's a really good show. So it's the second season of a show called Miracle Workers, which was basically they decided to flip into an anthology and take the entire cast and move them to a completely different premise. And so in Dark Ages, it's basically the, the way it works is it's set in the Dark Ages, but everyone has very modern sensibilities. <laughs> um, that's just sort of the humor of it. So it's sort of like, you know, Steve Buscemi will be like, I'm an old man. After all, I'm 31. It's something like that. Like, it'll be that kind of noting, like, this is how life was, but we're going to make a joke about, you know, with a sort of a not knowing of, like, what we know now about that age. So it's not, like, trying to play it straight as of, like, oh, they know they're, like, you know, this is the Middle Ages. Um, and it's just kind of like a fun sitcom. Uh, Daniel Radcliffe plays kind of this spoiled prince who has, like, a good heart. And each episode is kind of its own thing. And it's very sweet and very charming. And I think the way it kind of works, the way that they're able to pull it off is like the the setting is so dark and grim. It is the Dark Ages. And so like life in this era is nasty and brutish and short. And like that's just kind of what they talk about. But the characters themselves, because they are modern, are nice to each other. And so they kind of add this weird quality of redemption to this very bleak setting. And so... I think that's kind of why the show works so well. It's like you have a world where everything is should be bleak and terrible, but the characters still find a way to be nice to each other and care about each other. And that makes the show really heartwarming in addition to being very funny. Um, and it's the kind of show that I feel like if it were on a streaming network, like people would be talking about it more. The problem is, is it's on TBS. So in order to watch it, you need to have a cable subscription. There's no like, um, or I guess you could buy individual episodes, but you know, I, I'm kind of hoping, like, I've been following along HBO Max's press releases and, like, these, you know, because they're both, TBS is owned by Warner, HBO is owned by Warner, and my hope is that when HBO Max launches, they'll be like, oh, we have these TBS shows, let's put them on HBO Max, that'll be our streaming, good streaming content. So I'm going to definitely keep an eye out for Miracle Workers Dark Ages on HBO Max. I know I will be, because I think it's a really great show. It's so sweet. And like Daniel Radcliffe's willingness to just like do whatever like tickles him nowadays, like after Harry Potter is just wonderful. There's not much more things in the world that I love more than Daniel Radcliffe's post Harry Potter career. It's, it's so good. It's a, it's a blueprint for making me love you. Like guy just kind of taking these fun chances, but not taking himself too seriously. Like we should, it's kind of, I'm almost a little mad at like Harry Potter films in a way because Daniel Radcliffe is really funny and those yeah. movies don't occasionally those movies will let him be funny, but they don't realize how funny he is like that. He's just got a really good set of like comic, like good comic timing, really fun personality. Like, and so I think miracle workers is a really good chance to let him shine. I'm dying for like a very weird movie starring Daniel Radcliffe and Robert Pattinson. Just sort of like these two guys who like did major tenfolds and then they're like, I'm going to be the weirdest person in the world now. And I just want to put those two energies together in something, something weird, in which Robert Pattinson probably masturbates because he does that in every movie. <laughs> Directed by Robert Eggers. I'm glad that joke slipped through and no one picked up on it. I didn't say it again. Do it again. I said, I said it's really weird when he does it at the end of Remember Me. <laughs> <laughs> that joke right, is really I'll leave it on that all right, so that joke deserved to be heard by the people. <laughs> Thank you. Incredible joke. If you want to keep up with this podcast, if you still want to keep up with this podcast, if you still uh, want to keep up with great jokes like these, uh, <laughs> you can follow us on Twitter. Uh, Vinny, where can we find you on Twitter? Uh, I'm at Vinny Mancuso One, where I will never tell a joke as good as <laughs> the problem for me. That's where I am, Vinny Mancuso One. Very easy to remember. Uh, and Adam, where can we find you? At Adam Chitwood. And you can find me at Matt Goldberg. All right, uh, we'll be back with you next week. Uh, we've held a poll the, about what should we talk about next week, and the winner was Hot Rod. Oh, finally. finally. So we'll be talking about Hot Rod, uh, but the episode will be on Tuesday because of the Memorial Day weekend. Uh, stay safe, everyone, and we'll be back with you next week. Need an extra hand with dinner? Just ask your connected home device to fill your pasta pot, and Delta Faucet Voice IQ technology will fill it with the perfect amount of water. Visit deltafaucet.com slash voice IQ to discover more. The Medicare annual election period deadline is coming soon. 
I'm Meredith Vieira, here with examples of people who found the key to the right coverage at MyHealthPolicy.com. Meet Larry. He likes doing things online. I took my time and found the best Medicare Advantage plan for me at MyHealthPolicy.com. Next is Mary. When she wanted answers, she picked up the phone. I wanted a local perspective on plans, so I called MyHealthPolicy.com. And finally, Michael. I prefer face-to-face, so I chose MyHealthPolicy.com and enrolled on the spot. Go to MyHealthPolicy.com to learn about top-rated Medicare Advantage plans in your area, including $0 premium plans, or call 1-800-GO-START. That's 1-800-GO-START. MyHealthPolicy.com. Meredith Vieira is a paid endorser. KF Agency operates MyHealthPolicy.com, not connected with or endorsed by the U.S. government or the federal Medicare program. A licensed insurance agent may call.